When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I'm joined by a dear friend, the funniest human I know, and also one of the smartest people I know, Johnny W. Oh, that's so nice. He, he's a comedian, too, so that's that why is, he's here. That is so nice. I do want to say that, like, I, uh, I'm i here as a comedy enthusiast and not a, necessarily an expert. Comedy, comedy is one of my favorite things because it's subjective. So if I render an opinion on, like, comedy in culture at large... That's really just my opinion. I'm an expert on my opinion of it. It's so great. It doesn't mean that like, well, this is how comedy works. Like, this is how it works for me. Yep. <laughs> I love it. See, that's the exact opposite of what I do because I try my best not to give my opinion on the Kennedys at all. So I'm yeah. just very like Switzerland yeah. about everything. Well, I think comedy to me is like, I was always a curious kid and the older I get, I realize that's really all comedy is, is you're kind of observing things in popular culture and life at large and you're, you're commenting on it, but there's this curiosity that remains and so like... I love the idea of it. And when you sent me your little Wikipedia like link to like learn about this guy, I was like, oh, this is so great. Like I love just absorbing it all because mm-hmm. I really don't know a ton about this this guy. So well, it was really cool. I know. It is really cool. And this is a topic that I'm, I was telling you before I'm surprised I have not covered yet. But today we're going to talk about the first family comedy album that came out in the 60s making fun of, in a lighthearted way, JFK, yeah. Jackie and their family and their administration by uh, Von Meter. So this was a huge deal back then, obviously. I'll start just giving a little bit of the history about yeah. it. So Von Meter, from what I read, I'm not going to quote exact birthdays and all where he b- grew up and all that kind of stuff, but I do know that from my reading, he had a really tumultuous childhood, really sad, kind of his mom, apparently he went to live with his grandparents for a while, then his mom again, and she was an addict and ended up putting him in a children's home, uh, became a musician, but then... It looked like he was scouted, like a talent scout found him, and he started doing comedy. And then they realized, because he grew up in Massachusetts, he had a great JFK accent, and he would play on that a lot, and so it became like his shtick. The Harvard accent. Exactly. With just a little extra. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, that was his shtick. And apparently he had a buddy or a producer or something that was like, we can really make something of this, and they shopped it around, and people were like, no way, we're not doing this to the president, because if you think about it, I researched and researched, and there was not presidential impersonators back then. Yeah. I looked for, like, Eisenhower impersonator, and it was all, like, today's people, not back then. So it looked like he kind of set the president yeah. for presidential. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. how protected it was, and I never really thought about it. I'm such a comedy nerd, and I think about myself as, like, almost like a comedy historian. But I'd never thought about the idea that it was this protected thing, and there was this unwritten rule, you don't go there. Yeah, Totally. And it was like that in press and everything, too. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, all of his crap was kind of like covered up in the press. People knew it, but they weren't going to publish anything about his adultery or what the medications he was on, things like that. Just every, the presidency was very yeah. was protected. Yeah. Yes. And so everyone was like, of course, I'm not going to make fun of our president, you know. But then somebody picked it up and they recorded it. And it was this, like I said, comedy album, bunch of impersonators. and this In front is of a live crowd. In front of a live crowd, yes. Did you read about the Cuban Missile Crisis yes, thing? Yes, that it went on that same night as the Cuban Missile Crisis speech. Yes. And if the crowd, they said if the crowd had known 
what was going on, there's no way we'd have got the reactions. We no. Got. And it would have been so pensive. We're going to go to war, probably. Exactly. And the cast knew it. So they're like, oh, oh wow, the cast yeah. knew. They said they had a lump in their throat the whole time, but the show must go on, I guess. That's and so, crazy. but the audience didn't know. So this was October 22nd of 1962. This is true comedy, by the way. This is true comedians that nothing is more important than the show. Yep. I get that 100%. Really? Yeah. You just. There's like you could saw my leg off, and I would try to figure out like how You're I could like, go get this these laughs. This is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, gotta figure it out. You're like Chris to... Rock. This is the greatest night in television history. Like yeah. he just got slapped, and he oh, keeps going. That's right. <laughs> exactly. You got to figure out how to keep the show going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that was wild, though. Yeah, I mean, I'd, wild. I had no idea. That's amazing. I know. And so it releases in November of 1962. Family, family, family. Jack, there's just too much family. Can't we ever get away alone? Well, tomorrow. I, I promise tomorrow we'll go away together uh, tomorrow. No more family for a while now, I promise. Now, uh, turn off the light. Good night, Jackie. Good night, Jack. Good night, Bobby. Good night, Ethel. <laughs> I mean, instantly, it skyrockets. It was number one on the Billboard chart for six and a half weeks, is what it says. On the radio, like all this crazy stuff. Yeah. It wins a Grammy for number one album of the year. Like, think about that. A comedy right. album winning. I mean, I don't know how that would play today. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, special, a comedy category yeah. now, but I can't rem- I don't know what... Maybe there was a comedy category then, too, but I just can't. That's but fascinating. album of the year. Right. Not Billie Eilish. It's the right. first family. That's yeah. wild. Um, it was so successful that it went. they made a second volume that released in uh, 1963. Mm-hmm. And... It was great. It was it was it was all the rage. JFK was quoted, and I'll insert a clip right here of him at a press conference talking about it. It's been a long time since the president and his family have been subject to such to such a heavy barrage of teasing and fun poking and satire. When there's been books on back backstairs at the White House, cartoon books with clever sayings, uh, uh, photo albums with uh, balloons and the rest. Now a uh, smash hit record. Can you tell us uh, whether you read and listen to these things and whether they produce annoyment or enjoyment? <laughs> annoyment. Uh, no, they do. Yes, I have read them and listened to them. Actually, I listened to Mr. Meade's record, but I thought it sounded more like Teddy than it did me. But. Uh... <laughs> And Jackie, behind the scenes, hated the whole thing. Okay. Thought it was the worst thing ever. They were making fun of her kids, which I don't blame her. If somebody oh, right. made fun of my yeah, kids. Because there was one person, one of the comics was doing like a little baby voice. Exactly. And she was like, you're making fun of my kid? No, it's yeah. trash. She said she listened to one side and threw it away. And I'll also insert a clip of that here. What did he think of all these skits about himself, like the first family and so on? Did you ever listen to them? Um... I think he listened. I'm not sure he listened to all of that record. I listened to one side, and then I threw it away because I didn't want my children to see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, he wasn't... I guess he sort of took it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was so unfair, but he didn't... I guess he just ex- accepted it. I mean, he obviously didn't like it, but he didn't... No, I was the one who got much more worked up about those things. I mean, I thought it was so mean. I didn't care if they made fun of me or anything. But when they made fun of little children. So, yeah, it was a smash hit. And then the president's assassinated. And 
unfortunately, Von Meter's entire career tanked. No one wanted anything to do with the album, and that was kind of the end of his career as he knew it. So now that that's the backstory of it for the yeah. audience, let's dive into just the entire concept of yeah. this from a comedic perspective and presidential humor in general and how what this sparked. Yeah, like uh, the thing that I read that was fascinating to me was this guy, James Hagerty, who was a top executive for ABC and Paramount Records, and he was also President Dwight Eisenhower's former press secretary. He said that the proposed album would, quote, be degrading to the presidency and proclaim that, quote, every communist country in the world would love this record. Mm. So it's like this little default position of this can't be done because it emboldens our enemies. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating to think, given the world that we live in now, where presidents can be made into caricatures. I mean, boom, you're, that's part of the job. You know you're signing up to be mocked, roasted. and uh, But you were kind of insulated back then. And I'm fascinated by the idea that it would go over that way, that the, that the public at large would be like, well, yeah, you don't. But then when they get a taste of it, they're like, oh, this is interesting. But it was kind of softball. I, what I listened to is very, even though Jackie didn't like it, it was very softball compared to what we think of as today as mm-hmm. political humor. He wasn't mean-spirited in his depictions at all. And I love that President Kennedy leaned into it. He knew that. Like, that's the main thing. Like, uh, when you, the Oscars is a great example. When you're mocking somebody at the Oscars, like you show right before the Will Smith slap, he mocked, like, Javier Bardem, who just, like, belly laughs and, oh, that's part of the thing. You know the camera's on you. Mm-hmm. And when you lean into the joke that's being made at your expense, you look, it humanizes you. You look like a better dude. You, you're cool. That's why, that's why the Will Smith thing was so outrageous. It's because it was like, he literally can't take a joke. And so it's it's the fact that he leaned into the bit. In fact, he even said, I think we talked about, it, he once greeted a Democratic National Committee group by saying, Von Meter was busy tonight, so I came myself. That's how he just like, well, it basically was saying, I love the impression. Mm-hmm. Or he said it sounded more like Teddy, you know, or whatever. Yep. And I thought that was just fascinating because you see that now um, – on the best example of that I could think of today is like the Tonight Show when Fallon kind of broke the mold by having these stars on the Tonight Show who in the old days with Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and Jay Leno's Tonight Show, you would come on to pitch a product, you'd pitch a movie, whatever it is, but it's like there's a, an insulated quality, there's an untouchable, I'm the celebrity, you have these prepared questions. Jimmy Fallon was the guy that said, let's play a game where we smash an egg on our head mm-hmm. to like a guy who just won an Oscar and he would do it. And this idea of like, whatever this guy comes on, Denzel Washington smashes an egg on his head. And it's this thing of like, Oh, he's one of us. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like an unwritten thing, an unsaid thing that happens, an intangible thing that happens when a celebrity kind of, uh, becomes one of us. And I think that's a purpose and a function of comedy that political comedy serves. I don't really love political comedy. Usually it's very divisive. Mm-hmm. I don't have political comedy in my show that I do. It's because I, I've i tried it before, and it's I don't like the feeling I get from it, of just the audience going like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's like you've you've killed their sacred cow or something. So I like to get laughs, and so I, and there's a there's a kind of a pandering laugh that you can get from political joke. But all that said, I love the way that Kennedy leaned to it, leaned into it, and um, kind of won the day in that way. Yeah. You know, he and, came off smelling like a rose. And apparently he would give it out as gifts to right. like, people. He thought it was, even though I don't think he really loved it, he, he played into it just like you said. He took the joke. Yeah, who knows if he actually did love it or maybe, like again, if you hear somebody do an impression of you, it's an exaggeration of you, mm-hmm. which is a little offensive because yeah. they're kind of take, that's how comedy works. You take something and you make it a little absurd. But uh, yeah, the fact that he leaned into it was kind of interesting to me. How do you think, 
do you, th- I mean, I, I guess we can't be the ones to say for sure, but I feel like from reading about this that Von Meter may have set the tone for why SNL today yeah. mocks presidency. Like, what, this was the first to do it. I think it probably would have come eventually. Yeah. But I mean, do you think it influenced that? For sure. I mean, you had the 70s. You know, SNL was a very left-leaning show, but they were more even-handed in their uh, takes on presidents at large and debates. You know, they would always have a presidential debate sketch in the 70s. And, you know, um, you had Chevy Chase became famous for doing his Gerald Ford just falling down. Mm-hmm. Gerald Ford fell down in a famous clip getting off the airport, getting off the airplane, maybe Air Force One. I can't remember. There was a few clips of him falling down. And so every sketch, Chevy would do Gerald Ford and fall down. Mm-hmm. And he would get this huge ovation, and he became famous for that. Uh, yeah, there was, but there was still a little bit of a kid glove handling, or at least an even-handedness to it in, in that we're going to mock both sides. Now it feels like it's not it's not handled that way. I remember when I watched uh, in uh, early two thousands. Uh, I think political comedy started to shift some and got a little bit lazy in a way. Like The Daily Show uh, with John Stewart is so great and the writing was so great, but it felt like sometimes in the George W. Bush presidency he would just show a clip of bush saying something and then it would just come back to him kind of mugging for the camera Mm -hmm. like did you guys just see this nonsense he didn't even like care to make a joke about it it was just like the president is the joke yeah and so it felt like the writing got a little bit lazy there whereas i feel like the old snl debates with dukakis and and bush senior there was this handling of it that was different you know, Dukakis was a short guy. They had John Lovitz playing Dukakis. He gets on the little podium and it it raises him up slowly, robotically, <laughs> until he's Bush's height. And then Bush goes on to answer a question and kind of read my lips and a thousand points of light and does this whole thing, Dana Carvey. And then he goes, and that's that. And then the, the moderator goes, uh, you still have 60 more seconds. <laughs> and he's like, well, look, we're all on the track, yeah. and we're going to get there. And and then he goes, uh, 15 more seconds. And then he goes, well, I got – and then he just rambles some more. And yep. then he goes to Dukakis, Dukakis, would you care to – you know, Governor Dukakis, would you care to rebut? And he goes, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. Like that. It was just this – and he gets a huge ovation. So good. But it's like there was still – it felt like it was fair play. Yeah. Now it feels like there's kind of a, a rage behind oh, it. Oh, for sure. Um, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's like a boil that needs to be lanced. <laughs> and comedy can serve that function, that's okay, but it feels like um, it's not as fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because we can't laugh at the other guy because he might be scoring points against us. Yeah. If I hear a great joke about X party that's not my party, I'm like, I don't like the way they... Right. Even if it's great and well-constructed and has a good point, uh, there's this... the. Uh, there's this tension that's in us now. I do have to say it's interesting because when you look at this, this is this did seem to be the first. The president is somebody that everybody will get the joke. Yeah. That is something. Yeah. There may be a certain celebrity that I know that you don't, you know that I don't, and I'm not going to get the joke about them. Right. But when you make it the president, everybody's going to get yeah, it. Yeah, most famous man in the free world. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because even though it's much more divisive today, I was looking at some memos and stuff that were sent to Pierre Salinger, which was uh, the president's press secretary, Okay. and people were furious about some things. I mean, they would be furious, even just with the lightheartedness there. And um, I found one that was Meter sending it to JFK saying, hey, I hope you've caught this. It's with all respect. Like, he truly wanted him to like it. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't trying to be hurtful at all but a lot of people took offense of course and 
something I wanted to talk about too. Uh, I was listening to your podcast, which is talk about that with John Driver, who has been on the show before. Oh, good. Okay. And this week, you guys talked about a face swap app, the one where you can put your face on a celebrity and it looks like you're them. Mm-hmm. And what's the comment you made about? Oh, I was just saying, like, I feel like this has the potential to like destroy the free world because or democracy because you could just like make a video of Biden launching nukes, right? And then it could be... And it looks like him. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, here he is, and giving the order. As soon as you said that, I was listening last night, I was like, oh my gosh, we're kind of going to talk about this, because I just read this memo of someone messaging Pierre Salinger saying, this is bad. Von Meter got on and said something, he endorsed some radio station, and it uh-huh. sounded just like JFK. Right. And Pierre Salinger was horrified. He was like, oh no, he's going out and saying stuff and sounded just <laughs> like the president. Like, yeah. we're going to take care of this immediately. So it's the same thing, even in audio, of like, someone can say something horrible and completely against what we're standing for, and it sounds just like him and could be verified as him. Yeah, I mean, the satire laws um, that protect you to literally come on Saturday Night Live or a similar show and just be for instance, dress like President Trump, look exactly like President Trump, doing his voice and saying ridiculous things in character as President Trump. The fact that we're protected to do that is fascinating. It is. It really is because they could take that clip and do anything, you know? <laughs> it's just like you can make the man. And that's the thing. You can make him to be a fool in some ways. like and And that could be someone's lasting memory. Like somebody who grew up as a kid watching Chevy Chase fall down as President Ford, it if I meant, that's what I meant to say earlier is it affected Gerald Ford's popularity ratings. His approval ratings were In a affected, way? yes, oh. by the SNL portrayal of him. So comedy began to have this role in popular culture that also extended to the electorate. Wow. Where you'd be like, oh, maybe he is a you know, an income poop. Who wow. falls down? Even though he fell one time or two times on camera, it's like now it's like, oh, he probably is falling down all the time. He can barely even string a sentence together. So, you know, if you portray Biden as this rambling, senile man enough, it it rings true, sure. even if it's a caricature. Uh, so there is a danger of that. I still think the danger of a totalitarian society where we can't mock the president outweighs the danger of mm-hmm. mocking the president and letting the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you totally. Know? That's interesting, too. It kind of begs the question of, I wonder if Gerald Ford had embraced it the way that Kennedy did, if yeah. his approval rating still would have gone down. I, remember, like, I wonder if he like would have yeah. mocked himself a little bit with it, if people would be like, that guy's so relatable, but self-deprecating. Well, you know, the, 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 uh, what's the, the press corps dinner where they come, and then there's always a comedian yes. who will make fun of the president uh, up until recently. And I remember... Uh, there's a scene, I want to say, where President Bush came on Saturday Night Live or a talk show and stood by Carvey and said, you know, wouldn't be prudent and did the taglines, wouldn't be prudent at this juncture, mm-hmm. which is a made-up thing that Carvey said, but we imagine that Bush said it. It became so, yeah. you know, not gonna do it. Like, we, <laughs> we became, anybody that did a Bush impression in that era of the late 90s was doing, or early 90s, was doing Dana Carvey's impression of the president. Yeah. You weren't doing the president, you were doing Dana Carvey doing the president. Yeah. So it's like, it was so powerful. President Bush is still on the hookup and he wants to say something. What, what, he, he's here now? Yeah, uh, should I put him through? Uh, all right, put him in. <laughs> Dana, George Bush here. I'm watching you do your impression of me, and I gotta say, it's nothing like me. There's no resemblance. It's bad. It's bad. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. President. I think it's a fair impression. Don't see it. 
You know? It's totally exaggerated. It's not me, those, those crazy hand gestures, <laughs> the pointing thing. I don't do them. It said uh, in this article, too, that I was reading uh, a different one than the Wikipedia. It was an actual article. It was saying that people grabbed onto the taglines just like that. They would say, with Vega and stuff yeah, like with that. with Vega, yeah. Schwan. Uh, yeah, Schwan. Schwan. That's what it was, yeah. Um, so people, you know, grabbed onto those, too, as if he had said them as well, which some, I mean, he did say Vega. There's no doubt. He I thought about making Vega. a T-shirt that just says Vega, <laughs> but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, it's like that. It is, it's a really, like, it's an accent that lends itself to comedy. And also, like, one of the things I was thinking about preparing for this was the role of comedy as far as it's like this release valve for us. And when we're in a tense time, I mean, this is the cold war, the Cuban missile crisis, all of this. And so, uh, I grew up in the eighties and one of the big comics that came out of the eighties was a, a Russian expat named Yakov Smirnov. Well, Yakov grew up with like KGB speakers in his house because mm-hmm. that's how they would get the propaganda into your home. They'd make these daily announcements. So I heard an interview with him talking about that, like, how did you do this? And so he would talk about there's no comedy club. So he came to America and he's basically doing this comedy that's like fish out of water comedy. America, what a country. You know, mm-hmm. over there we have this, over here we have this. And he's making these huge disparate, you know, uh, explanations of like what life is in Russia and what life is in America. Hi. My name is Jakob Smirnov. I am a comedian from Russia. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like it here in America. What surprises me that people in America don't know we have comedy in Russia. Russian comedian to American sounds like Mormon wino. We have comedians, they're there. They're dead, but they're there. It's hard to do comedy in Soviet Union because you have to write out all your material and you send it to Department of Jokes. <laughs> and I'm not making this up. Every state in Soviet Union has a Department of Jokes. They censor your material, they send it to Moscow, where there's a big Department of Jokes. <laughs> and it's very reassuring to Americans, too, because we're like, yeah, we are the land of the free, and here's this guy who chose to move here, and now he's become famous. And yeah. he would do those things. He would do comedy in front of Reagan, and he got to do all these huge things. And I, the most fascinating part of it was he did an interview in the uh, – probably five years ago, he did an interview on a podcast that I listened to, and he was talking about his career post-Cold War. And it, uh, if you don't know, he ended up doing a theater show in Branson. So he, mm. bought, he bought a theater, built it, and for 10 years, he made millions, okay? And it was all like, Branson's a very nostalgic place where you go to see somebody who you grew up watching, and they have a theater now, and you go to their show, and you pay 50 bucks, and you eat dinner, and you watch their show. So it was no surprise that he did it, but his, his explanation of it was fascinating because he said, I grew up in this thing, and I was this, I was the pop in the balloon, I was the pin in the balloon of the Cold War. This tension was built up. We have missiles pointed at each other. It's very intense, and I would come out and be a silly clown for everybody, and they would be like, okay, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a function of comedy like that, and then the, the host asked him, well, what did you do when the Cold War ended? He said, I had to go where they didn't know it was over. Oh, Wow. So that's why he chose Branson, yeah. which is this uh, Republican stronghold. Right. The Ruskies are still the Ruskies. And Just keep it, keep the joke alive. Right. Yeah. So he could still go do it, or at least the nostalgia vibe was strong enough that he could get over the whatever. And they'd be like, oh, I remember that one from when I was a kid. And that's very strong with comedy, That's too. fascinating. But, like, 
I love the idea of that. It was just like, well, I can't just stop. I need to go somewhere that's like a protected, insulated snow globe mm-hmm. of 1980s Red Scare. Yeah. And that's where I'll be safe and make my money. And he did. Wow. That is nuts. In that same vein, let's talk a little bit about the fact that Von Meter's career completely tanked. I mean, the assassination is something that was just so hurtful to both parties. Anybody everywhere all across the world was just in horrible pain over this. So obviously things are going to tank for him. Mm -hmm. But the sad part is he could never come back from that. You can never in that. Like I've read a YouTube comment yesterday when I was looking for clips for this. That literally said, this hurts so bad for so long, I can just now watch this. This was 2022. I can just now watch this and remember it fondly. So literally 2022, someone still had just now been okay to watch Von Meter. So obviously within his lifetime, that his shtick was over. And he couldn't come out from that because he was the JFK. It's like... It's like somebody signing on to do a TV show and they never get out from under it. It's like they they're eternally yeah, that character, right? Um, get typecast and and yeah. Now you're um, there's also that danger of it now being like, all right, enough is enough. We thought it was funny when he was alive, but now it's like you're mocking a dead guy. Yeah, like the the deification. It's almost like uh, they call it the hey geography. Like when you just like Kennedy dies, now he's an angel, mm-hmm. and everything was kind of like washed away even though he definitely had a dark side and all of that stuff, it's like, well, now we don't we don't make fun of dead people. Mm-hmm. And that's what your job is now, so you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. And, yeah, it's fascinating that, that he couldn't pivot. Even if he had other stuff that he wanted to do uh, as a comic voice, he could not pivot away from it. Like, it stained his career. Yeah. He, he did a couple things, but it was nothing like, obviously, yeah. the success of the first family. That's interesting that what you just said, I have to say. Um, someone I spoke to a while ago, I may have mentioned this before, I'm going to say it again. Someone I spoke to a while ago, she's elderly, and she, we were talking about the assassination, and she said, God, we just loved him. It was so sad, like all this kind of stuff. And I said, did you vote for him? I was just curious and whatever. She said, well, God, no, he was Catholic. <laughs> so she didn't even, like, she was like, of course not, which is just yeah. completely like but not that's the cool, way we though, think But that the idea of the president being assassinated outweighed, like, she still saw it as a tragedy. I mean, now you could almost see someone being, like, almost happy. Oh, yeah. You know, like, well, you we're know, so divided. From what I've read, this is total deep dive, I'm going to say it real quick, then we'll get back on track, but from what I've read in... Um, the death of a president. Mm-hmm. There actually was some some praising when he would die. Uh, People don't realize that, yeah. but um, like there was rumors of a school in Texas clapping when he died, uh, and that was kind of came back. And maybe that wasn't true. Maybe it was. People grabbed what they wanted. Right. Um, but yeah, there was a little bit of that, but it was far outweighed by you know the national sympathy and you know sadness. Yeah. Even in Mad Men, there's a quote. Uh, you haven't seen Mad Men, have you? No. That's a shame. You need to watch it. But there's a quote when President Kennedy dies. Uh, one of the main characters is drinking at like 9 a.m. And his wife walks in and says, are you drinking? She said, he said, everyone's drinking. <laughs> like it was just devastating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. Anyway, yeah, national tragedy was much different, I think, in that way, especially when it affected the president because everything wasn't so divisive. But uh, yeah, I was just curious about just the downfall of a career, like putting all your eggs in one basket and then not being able to come back out from it. Yeah, and I wonder what would happen today, like if – it would be more culture would be more open now to a pivot from someone almost like there's like a function to of comedy uh that is called gallows humor where you're you're you need to make fun of the thing that you're not supposed to make fun of you know mm-hmm. um the darkest stuff makes you laugh the hardest because it's inappropriate you know, and I think there is a time and a place for that. Maybe not right away, but like we make Lincoln jokes now. 
Other, sure. you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? You know, mm-hmm. like we make jokes. It's been enough time that we can look at the the absurdity of a president just going to a play with no security detail or whatever, yeah. whatever the circumstances of Lincoln being. Like we can we can kind of go, it's time to move on. Sometimes people want to move on way too fast. I mean, I remember when the Challenger shuttle happened and there were jokes. I mean, I was in seventh or eighth grade, sixth or seventh grade, and I remember hearing jokes. Oh, yeah. You know, people are dead. Mm-hmm. But there is, I think there is a function. The Cuban Missile Crisis is a great example of, you know, there were comics who were making caricatures of Russians, mm-hmm. um, secret agents in popular culture. Um, and I think that there is a place for that. Like, comedy should offend it, yeah, that is. It's not funny if it doesn't offend in a certain a, way. There's an yeah. aspect of it, and everybody knows what their line is, where they go, "That's too far," and I'll leave mm-hmm. if you go there. But there's always an audience, and there's always a reason to at least dig into why. Like that's what I do in my show. Even like there's things that scare me, like death and all these things. But I have jokes in my show about death and even my own death, mm-hmm. and I tell them because it scares me. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's not always about like, let's figure out how to softball this audience and give them exactly what they want. Sometimes yeah. the audience may think they want cotton candy, but what they need is like nourishment. Yeah. And sometimes you need to take them to a hard place. And so I just, I think about that, the function of, um, even jokes about the assassination that we, you know, now it's been years and years and years and years. And you would see uh, like Seinfeld make a scene, you know, they had a popular episode, where Keith Hernandez, the baseball player, is spit on. Mm-hmm. And they talked about there was a second spitter and who, where was the shot from and all this stuff. And it's like, it was hilarious, but I'm sure maybe less hilarious to someone who went through like what you're talking about with this girl. It's like, oh, it was a horrible day. It was the worst day of our lives. Yeah. But you get far enough removed, it's like tragedy plus time equals comedy. Now we can laugh about it. Sure. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to insert a clip of that right here, by the okay, way. Okay, good. According to your story, Hernandez passes you and starts walking up the ramp. Mm -hmm. Then you say you were struck on the right temple. The spit then proceeds to ricochet off the temple, striking Newman between the third and the fourth rib. The spit then came off the rib, made a right turn, hitting Newman in the right wrist causing him to drop his baseball cap. The spit then splashed off the wrist, pauses in midair, mind you, makes a left turn and lands on Newman's left thigh. That is one magic loogie. I mean, obviously like 9-11, there are 9-11 jokes now. You know, that like anytime I, the only 9 11 joke I've really heard was something to Pete Davidson, whose father passed away in 9 11, and it was so bad. Like, it, it yeah. was cringe. I mean, he it was at a roast for him, and it was, it was yeah. cringy. I well, mean, and he's made jokes himself, and there's an interesting thing too where, like, when you went through tragedy yourself, maybe it gives you the right. But even the audience, when he made that joke, was like, oh, right. like, it's not, oh, how yeah. could you, like, I don't know. So there's some things that still, I don't know. Well, what about this aspect? There's not just necessarily like, okay, obviously a guy was murdered. That may be off limits for a long time, but what about something like Chappaquiddick? Mm-hmm. You know, where here's a person in power. So there's this, uh, there's like a formula. So we've got a morbid fascination with death. That's the start, okay? 
And then you've got this rich and famous person that made a huge mistake and then covered it up. So there's this concept of like comeuppance that he needs to receive. He needs to receive justice, but then he doesn't receive the consequences that we as a society feel like he should have gotten. Mm -hmm. He just goes on to a political success. So what the society does and comedic culture at large is his penance is to be a punchline. Yeah. For the rest of his life. Yeah. You can go on and you can be Senator Ted Kennedy, but guess what? Chappaquiddick is going to be thrown up in tonight's show monologues. It's going to be... Can't Chappaquid it. Yeah, you can't <laughs> Chappaquid it. But yeah, so that's just like, that's like almost like this correction of society going, you got away with it, but you didn't really get away with it because yeah. now we get to roast you. Yeah. And so that is a function of comedy that I think is important. It's necessary. I was just thinking as you were talking about that. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure there was Chappaquiddick jokes, especially around the time. But uh, I don't know that I've heard any. But the jokes, even like the Seinfeld joke and stuff, it doesn't have to do with Kennedy dying. It's mm-hmm. always the Zapruder film or like a right. theory or whatever. And even with Chappaquiddick, I doubt they would joke about well, Mary was... Joe Kopechny. They were probably joking about don't get in a car with Ted Kennedy. Exactly. You know, that kind joking of thing. about him being a yeah. drunk. Yeah. And uh, yeah, poor decisions on his part. And yeah, so you're right. The Seinfeld episode came on the heels of Oliver Stone's JFK movie. Yes. So it was in the public consciousness and they were exploring all these crazy theories. And so really the episode was about the crazy theories surrounding who spit on Keith Hernandez. And then they start inserting other theories. So it was really about conspiracy theories. That's so funny. Uh, more than like, let's mock the president getting shot. Right. So you're right in that way. But like even the absurdity of like being a Kennedy, being in the spotlight, and then making a big mistake, which the family has a lot of them, uh, tragedy and then just mistakes. Like I remember late night monolo- a late night monologue on The Tonight Show when I was a kid from – it might have been Leno, but it might have been – I can't remember who was the host when this when it all went down, but the William Kennedy Smith rape trial. Yeah. And somebody made a joke like William Kennedy Smith sounds like the name that a Kennedy would give at a hotel. <laughs> Like, you'd be like, uh, can I get the name? William Kennedy. Smith. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> it's a great joke. Yeah. And it's not really mean-spirited. It's not. It just it, it hits all the right notes. And everybody gets it at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's almost like a takedown of, like, the other, the rich other. Mm-hmm. We're saying, like, oh, yeah, he's got to hide his name and whatever. And it's, it's, I don't know. There's something about that. Like, it's comedy's kind of a meritocracy in that we love – if you're low, we try to bring you up, and if you're a little bit too high for us, it's a takedown mm-hmm. all the way. Even when I'm trying to get on stage in my persona, I'm trying to be even keel, and there's a thing in comedy called uh, punching up. You always punch up. In other words, you know, the jester makes fun of the king. He doesn't make fun of other jesters, and he doesn't make fun of poor people who can't even afford to barely be at the show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work, and so... That's one of the reasons conservative comedy is hard, because it's like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? You you punch up, you punch up at rich people, you punch up at successful people, famous people, and it always lands because we, the commoners who are in the audience, go, yeah, get him, yeah. And so that's just a role. It's a role of comedy. It's a necessary role. That's so fascinating. It really is. And to think about, you know, Von Meter kind of set this with this that. 
it was in the press clip earlier that I played that the man uh, asking President Kennedy the question kind of says, okay, so you guys have merchandise already. There was a board game about the Kennedys. Yeah. Like something that had just not been done. And all of a sudden, comedy becomes a part of the presidency and mm-hmm. with, you know, something outside of just a sketch in the paper. So obviously, there was a new medium for, you know, mm-hmm. entertainment and poking fun at the presidency. And I think that the first family kind of started this, like I said. So with that, you had talked about a little bit about how the Kennedys are still in The Simpsons and all yeah. kinds of things. The Kennedys in and of themselves, are one of those figures that everyone kind of understands. Yeah. Um, I, I I talk about it all the time. It's one of the most fascinating things about this family to me is that I can watch anything and there will be a reference to the Kennedys, whether it be poking fun or just their legacy in general. So uh, talk a little bit about how that can transcend time and people can still make jokes and some things that you've seen about them. Yeah, like there's, I mean, obviously we talked about the Seinfeld episode and there's other Seinfeld references to the Kennedys where there's one where Elaine... Uh, is trying to prove that she has grace in an episode and someone in the episode knew Jackie O and so she comes in one day and she's wearing these big sunglasses and kind of has her hair in a certain way and the person's like struck by how she looks like Jackie O and suddenly Elaine has grace. She, there's just a perception of grace that's projected onto yeah. Elaine because of this accidental wardrobe choice or whatever. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. Then obviously there's the Simpsons. The Simpsons mayor has a very strong uh, you know Harvard accent. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's a very Kennedy character. Uh, probably somewhere between John and Teddy. You know, if you would land him somewhere, he's on the heavier side. But it's that thing of uh, a caricature, and probably written by somebody who grew up with Kennedy yeah. in his, you know, in his purview. He was, uh, he grew up around it, and so he just wrote it in. Oh, mm-hmm. we got to make the mayor a Kennedy type. Human roaches feeding off each other's garbage. The only thing you can't buy here is dignity. Welcome, swappers, to the Springfield Swap Meet. Ich bin ein Springfield Swap Meet patron. I need a drink and a shower. Plus, you're making these grand sweeping statements as a politician. That Kennedy voice just lends itself to that kind. Totally. It's almost, it makes, it's a comedic rhythm to it. There's a music to it. Um, you know, you can say, we're going to go to the moon. You go, we are going to the moon. You know, it's yeah. like it's a very, uh, it lends itself to comedy. So, but The Simpsons is a great example. Yeah, you just, you see it all the time. I think, that I'm fascinated to think of the idea of what would have happened, though. You talk about Vaughn starts this ball rolling with kind of a very friendly version, even though Jackie didn't love it, compared to today's political comedy. It was very soft. Yeah. And... He starts the ball. He starts the ball rolling. But it's interesting to think, it wouldn't have been long had Kennedy lived that there would have been the drugs and the affairs in comedic routines. What would that have been? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, oh, the fact that you said that, they even have. I mean, there's a SNL John Hamm skit where he jokes. I can't remember the exact context, but he goes to like a Halloween party mm-hmm. and he's pretending to be JFK and he's jokes about affairs and stuff in it. Yeah. And, yeah. Another guest. Who could it be? Well, it's none other than Democratic presidential nominee, John F. Kennedy. It's uh, good to be here, uh, Vincent. And uh, who's your friend? Oh, uh, well, you told me to bring candy, so I'd like to introduce you to Candy DiCenzo of the Reno DiCenzos. <laughs> You're so funny, Johnny. My God, man. You're running for president. Oh, don't worry, Vincent. She's just my campaign manager. Oh. And also a prostitute. Oh. <laughs> But like, even in, I mean, I'm saying even in Vaughn's act, it, I wonder if it would have evolved into that where he's going, well, we need, maybe he stays on the right. So he's like, oh, I'm a Kennedy fan. Maybe that, maybe that, you know, that can it's hurt you. Sometimes uh, 
I have no idea what his political affiliation was, but sometimes that can hurt you if you're not. Everybody thinks of themselves as a centrist, mm-hmm. but you find out as you start writing. There's a comedian friend of mine who said, I like writing jokes because I find out how I feel about things. Yeah. And that's true. Like if I start writing, I'm going to write 10 jokes about guns. Well, by the end of that, I go, oh, turns out I don't like guns. I didn't really know that about myself. Yeah. These jokes really purvey like an opinion about guns. So I think if you start to write about the president and you find yourself holding back, you're probably a little too close to the subject. If you can't see the scars, if you can't see the ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, there's a role in comedy to speak truth to power at times. It's a necessary role. And so um, I think that, yeah, maybe – who knows if he was too close to it or if it would just have evolved and it'd been like, or somebody else comes out that's a little edgier. And I'm like, uh, you liked him. Well, here's the R rated version of Maybe. this. Of course, the thing is, though, of course, well. And would have there been an audience for it? That's the question. Well, and would it have come out? I mean, these things didn't really come out until yeah. late 80s, early 90s, but were they preserved because he passed away or yeah. would they have been preserved just because of reverence for the presidency? That's a hard thing to figure out. Yeah, I read that it didn't, they out. didn't re release it till 99. Yeah, I mean, it was still so. They immediately pulled it after the president's death. Uh, which was, I guess, the record company decision, not necessarily Vaughn's decision, although who knows what he thought about well, it. Well, I'm sure it was like, you know, just as tragic to him, but that's his livelihood too, so I don't know what he would have thought. Yeah. It's in, it's interesting. It's crazy. I just think it was fascinating to dive into this and see kind of the origin story of this form of presidential entertainment and how this was handled at the time. And like you said, I Jackie was offended, but God, imagine how she would have felt today. Like yeah. it really has just the envelope continues to press yeah, as to time the point goes where on. Nobody would sign up for the job of president. You're opening yourself, your family up to all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. we see it. Nobody's off limits. It's It's mean-spirited. It's... And you just have to have this thick skin, and I think there was, yeah, definitely a, a quality. You lived in a bubble a little bit more sure. back then to the point where it's like, how dare someone mock our president? You mm-hmm. know, this is an institution. It was more than just a man, you know. Now it's just like, no, he's a man. Yeah, it's like, a man. Here's all his flaws. Take him down. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me about this. This was so much fun. Of and yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's cool to see both perspectives because this really does tie comedians and Kennedys in general. Yeah. So it's cool. Um, tell everybody where they can check you out, follow you, what you do, everything. I should have uh, let you give a little no, bio at the great. beginning. I'm sorry. Uh, you can go to my website, johnnyw.com, J-O-N-N-I-E-W.com, and the links to all my social media and all that stuff. You can find me on social, just enter my name, Johnny W. J-O-N-N-I-E. And, um, yeah, I'm on tour. Uh, I just filmed my second Dry Bar Comedy special, so that'll be out in a couple of months, they said. And, uh, yeah, I'm all over, and uh, you can find tour dates and video clips and all that good stuff. Booking information, hello? Yes, book him. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I do uh, events all over the country, and it's a lot of fun. And he's hilarious, guys. I promise. Also, talk about that. My favorite podcast. Did you say that? No, I didn't. You're like, plug talk about that. Talk about that is a podcast I do with my best friend John Driver, who's an author and speaker. And uh, yeah, it's something we do every week. It comes out every Monday, and we've done over 200 episodes. And they're just conversations about life, and we talk about our faith a little bit. But there's a little bit of everything. And it's always fun, and I can't believe we're still doing it. We really haven't run out of things to talk about, which is great, and uh, it's a blast. I love doing it. It's great. Best podcast ever. So good. Well, I can't say that. Should I say that? <laughs> it's, it's right up there with Kennedy that. <laughs> right up there. <laughs> Completely the same thing. No. See, you're leaning into it, though. That that humility is yeah. going to win the day because they'll be like, see, she said another <laughs> podcast was even better than hers. There you go. I like this girl. I'm going to edit out the part where I was like, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, thank you so much, Johnny. And, guys, I will talk to you soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, keep America strong, Kennedy.
I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.